have been going through a series called Jesus, the God-man who dwelt among us. And our goal was to go through this series for the summer uh, so that we can just kind of learn about Jesus for the summer months, for June, July, and August. And for the month of July, what we wanted to explore is some really intense moments or uh, times in Jesus's life. Some of these moments that really can shape our perspective on him uh, and see kind of who Jesus was as a person. Uh, a lot of us, we or all of us, uh, you know, deal with emotions on a daily basis, and sometimes we can look at God and remove emotion from him and forget that we were made in his image and that the emotions that we experience are things that we have gotten from our creator. Uh, and so we have been kind of diving deep into some very uh, emotional times in Jesus's life. And so this week and next week, as we finish this month off, we're going to be looking at the last week that Jesus was alive before being crucified on the cross. It was a very intense, very emotional uh, week for Jesus. Um, and today we're going to be looking at Mark 11, and we're going to be talking about purifying the temple. Uh, we're going to be looking at in Mark 11, where we pick off today, it is what we would know as Palm Sunday. Jesus triumphantly enters into Jerusalem he comes on a donkey, people are screaming, Hosanna, and then right after this, he goes into the temple, and that is the text for today, when Jesus enters into the temple uh, in Jerusalem. And so we're going to be reading from Mark 11, and we'll first start off reading the, the portion of scripture that we're going to spend the most time on today. Mark 11, verse 15, we're going to start. It says, and they came to Jerusalem, and he, or Jesus, entered the temple, and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. So before we kind of really jump too far into this text, there's actually two other texts that I want to introduce to us today. Uh, one of those is a text from the Old Testament in Malachi, and the other one is from Luke, but I want to jump into Malachi. What these two texts do is they really set up context for what we just read and what has happened in the temple. If we don't kind of go through these, then it's going to be hard for us to truly, what is underst uh, truly understand what is happening here. So first, I want to read Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 to 4. And this is a prophecy that Malachi made that took place 300 years before Jesus came to the earth. It says, Behold, I send my messenger. And he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver." And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. 
and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as former, as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I want to give a brief kind of overview explaining this prophetic word. Malachi basically here is prophesying the return of Jesus to the temple and what that would mean for Jerusalem. He speaks first of a messenger that will prepare the way. That is John the Baptist. Then he speaks of a second messenger of the covenant. This is Jesus. Malachi foretells a time where the messenger will come and he will refine for all the people in Israel the ones who are set apart, the ones who kind of take on the religious duty. And he says two things. He will refine them in the refiner's fire, like gold and like silver. If you don't know how gold and silver is mined, when they get them from the veins, they put them in burning hot furnaces and they melt them down. And what that does is it purifies the metal so that they can get to the utmost purity of gold and not have any other metals than the precious metal that is inside of them. The second thing he says is he will cleanse them like fuller soap. This is really interesting uh, what this means. Uh, fuller soap was how, how they would cleanse what fuller soap is. It was the strongest type of way uh, to clean something. I would imagine it would be like pouring bleach over something. It just, it, it was tough stuff. You don't want to get it kind of on your hand, right? They used this lye uh, soap, and after they were done, I didn't dig too far into this to find out why they would do this, but they would put whatever they were watching in the fuller soap, they would put it on a rock and beat it with sticks. Um, it's really interesting. So these are the two analogies that Malachi uses that Jesus, when he comes to the temple, is going to happen. What is going to happen when Jesus comes? Uh, two very intense things when you think about it. Uh, either the refiner's fire or being cleaned with some bleach and then thrown on a rock and beaten. I love it. But Jesus, he was going to make the offering pleasing again from his people. Once again, there would be an acceptable, acceptable sacrifice for God. But it also signified a time of judgment that was coming. So the next portion of scripture in Luke, this is right before Jesus enters into the temple. Luke gives us an extra portion that the other accounts do not give us of what happens, what's going on in Jesus' heart before he enters into the temple. In Luke 19, verse 41 to 44, it says this, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. These are really intense scriptures that are happening, that we're reading. Uh, intense prophetic words that were spoken about Jesus that foretold his coming and what would happen when he came. And then Jesus here, before he enters into the temple, is kind of reaffirming that, but also 
prophesying what will happen in the years to come, the judgment that was to happen on Israel. The messenger of the covenant came to the temple, and what does he do? He weeps. He weeps because he sees this future judgment of Israel. See, if you understand the Old Testament, you understand the dynamic of the relationship between Israel and God. God loved his people. He had chosen them because of who they were. When there was nobody on the earth that served him, there was a man named Abraham that did. And God made a covenant with him. And he said, out of you, I will have my people on this earth. When everybody has rejected me, you have not. And so because of that, God had kept this covenant with his people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And out of Jacob came Israel and the 12 tribes of Israel. But Israel kept turning away from God, yet God has deeply loved them, even though they kept turning away. But because they did not ever follow God after centuries and centuries of him sending messengers, Jesus was this final Messenger, And Jesus realizes this as he sees Jerusalem and he weeps because he loves these, this people, but he also knows what is coming to them. See, in history, we understand that the Romans came and they conquered Jerusalem after this time. And what happened was they surrounded the city and they literally destroyed the walls and they destroyed the, the temple. And just as it says here, they ripped apart stone from stone and they basically almost raised the city. Malachi's prophecy has come true. John the Baptist has come and he prepared the way. Jesus has come upon the temple. It was the time to refine his people. A new sacrifice that was going to be acceptable to God was about to be made and judgment was coming. And Jesus weeps over this fulfillment. This is the context of our scripture. A 300-year-old prophecy that was in the midst of coming true and Jesus' sad reflection of what was going to happen to his beloved people. He weeps over Jerusalem and then he comes to the temple and he gets really angry. You ever have a moment in your life where... You know, somebody really annoys you, but they leave for a little bit and you think, you know what, I, I got to be nice to this person. You know, even though they, they, every time we're around, there's always some kind of friction. They say something weird or there's just something that's just like, man, why do you got to say dumb things like that? And then they leave and it's like, all right, Justin, you know, I don't know about you, but I'll be like, I, ha I have to be nice to this person. You know, I, I got to love this person. And it's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to love them. I'm going to invite them out again. And you invite them out again and they insult your wife. And you're just like, this person is an idiot. Why do I keep on inviting this person over? Right? That's how kind of I imagine Jesus was in this moment. He sees Jerusalem. He's weeping over them. He loves them. And then he shows up to the temple. He sees that what they've done and he gets angry. He gets mad. He looks around, and as the song goes, Jesus comes in like a wrecking ball. <laughs> I mean, he starts, he walks in and he starts throwing tables around. At this point, I imagine him kind of screaming and going, you know, he, imagine you go to the market one day. 
you, you go to the market, you, you know, this, you're setting up, you know, you're at the bazaar, you bring all your goods, you put your stuff on the table, you know, you get your stands, you start showing your wares, and, you know, the people are walking by and you're screaming like, hey, pigeons for sale, pigeons for sale, pigeons for sale. And then this guy walks in to the temple, takes your table and just throws it across the street and says, what are you doing here selling pigeons? This is what Jesus does. He comes in and just starts, he starts wrecking the place. And then some, you, you think, you read this and you think this and you think, this is Jesus? This is the, the loving hippie that we talk about on TV all the time? That's like, peace man, you know? Yes, this is Jesus, our Lord and Savior. See, what happened was the temple was supposed to be a place where the nations could come and pray. In Isaiah 56, 6 to 7, it says this, And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in the house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. See, when Jesus walks in and he sees what's going on and he starts flipping over tables and he says, isn't my house supposed to be a house of prayer? He's quoting Isaiah. And what happened in this moment was in the outer courts where this was taking place, this was the place where Gentiles were supposed to be able to come to worship God. They weren't allowed into the Holy of Holies. They were allowed into the outer courts. And so these outer courts were the place where people from other lands, foreigners, Gentiles, non-Jews, could come in and worship God, the ones who have decided to follow his covenant. They were supposed to have this space to pray. But what had happened to this space? This space had become a place of shady business. And Jesus gets angry. He says, this is a den of robbers. How do people react to this? Well, I would assume, right, how you would react is when someone comes and flips your table and you set up to, you know, you got your nice cages and your pigeons and imagine like the pigeon seller being around in Manhattan today. He wouldn't know what to do with himself. Sorry, that was a bad joke, but. Well, Matthew actually, the Gospel of Matthew records one response that Mark doesn't give us here, and I want to share it. Matthew records the response of children during this response. In Matthew 21, 15, it says this. The children cried out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. So Jesus does what he does, and then what do the children go? They start praising his name. So the children praise him, but then something else happens. There's another reaction, the reaction of the religious leaders. It says, Mark says here, and the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. They get angry at the anger that they see. I, you know, they're thinking, 
Who does this guy think he is? This is our turf. We control these people. But what they failed to realize, what they failed to see what was happening here, these religious leaders, is that God hates hypocrisy. God hates hypocrisy. If you are here today and you do not believe in Jesus, you have not followed Christianity, you have not decided Jesus is your Lord, you know, if you're skeptical about the church, and one of the reasons why you're skeptical about the church is because you've seen people that go to church or you've seen people in the church that call themselves Christians, and you've seen what their life is like, and you think, well, if that's a Christian, then <clears throat> I have second thoughts about becoming one myself. A lot of people... And if this is you, then you're in company of a lot of people that I, I talk to. They say they, they've had bad experiences with people who call themselves Christians as being some of the nastiest people alive, some of the most bitter people that you will ever meet, some of the most angry people that you will ever meet. People that, man, if, if, if going to church has done that to you, then, oh, Remind me not to go to church. <laughs> I think I'll stay home on Sundays. So don't worry. If that's you today, you're in good company. You're in company of God. He doesn't like hypocrites. I want to actually read this other verse that Jesus quotes when he says, you have turned this into a den of robbers. That comes from Jeremiah 7. It says this, starting in verse 8. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal Murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, falsely, make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations. Has the house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. See, God, from the very beginning, has never tolerated a faith that was only in word and not in deed. If your faith has not led to a transformation of your deeds, then your faith is not in God. It's in something else. And that's a hard truth that we have to come to understand, that we have to come to realize. Right before Jesus walks into the temple, Mark and Matthew record this scene with a fig tree. Jesus sees a fig tree, and the fig tree has leaves on it. Now, when a fig tree blooms, the leaves and the fruit, they bloom at the same time. So if you see a fig tree that has leaves on it, the assumption is if, if the leaves are in and they're healthy, there should be healthy fruit on that fig tree to eat. And so Jesus, he sees the leaves and he walks up to this fig tree and he sees the leaves, but it has no fruit. All this fig tree does is it gives the appearance of having fruit. Jesus curses the fig tree and it withers and dies. 
We understand this scenario to happen, that it signifies Israel. See, God was tired of the pretense. He was tired of the appearance. He was tired of the hypocrisy, like that fig tree, that they only had the appearance of fruit. I remember this man that was uh, in one of the churches I went to. And I remember this man came, he came to church every week in a, in a suit. Had a family, kids. He, he owned his own business. And I remember thinking, this man has it all together. Um, because when you look at him, you see him on Sunday coming with his family, with his kids. You see he owns a business. You start thinking, man, this guy, he's got it all together. And so I remember <clears throat> I started to get close to this guy. Actually, you know, I will take a cup of water. My throat is exceptionally dry today. Thank you, Tiff. So this man, he, you know, he's, he, I think he has everything together. And so I start to get close to him. You know, I was trying to, he, I wanted to own a business. He owned a business. He seemed to be doing successful. He went to church. He had been going to church for a long time. Beautiful apartment. Lived in a great home. And then I, I remember the day I got to peek into his life. He lived almost constantly drunk. He was actually dead broke and was borrowing money from anybody that would give it to him. His computers at work were so riddled with porn that they had to close down the office for a day to have an IT guy come in and wipe all of them to restart them. Lied constantly to clients, to friends. I remember that was a real awakener for me. Not only because I was seeing into this man's life and I had put him on a pedestal, but I had been there and I started to peek into my own heart. We've all been there. You know what words to say. You know the things to hide so that everything looks good in your life. You know the phrases to use. You know, if you've been in church long enough, if you've maybe grown up in church like I've done, You've seen everything. You know how to fake the funk, as they say. You know, it, it looks like this. You know, I, I'm going I'm to put all these great scripture posts on Facebook. Oh, I'm, I'm doing my devotional today. Let me get my Instagram shot. Let's get my Bible at this angle. Get my cup of coffee here. You know, get the table laid out. Maybe write some scribble notes. You know, I'll blur that out so they can't tell I didn't actually write anything. You know, take that shot. And we spend more time crafting the perfect shot and waiting for comments and likes than we actually do in the devotional that morning. You know, we... Praise really loud in church, you know. You're going to hear my hallelujahs. You're going to hear my screams. You're going to hear my amens during the sermon. But then you go home and you beat your wife or you scream at your husband or you attack your kids. And 
I know how to put on the appearance. I know, what to, I know all the movements at church to make. I know when to tap my shoes. I know when to throw up my hands. When to get hit. But catch me 10 minutes later in my car ride home and my kid is acting up and I am cursing him out because I can't stand the sound of his voice. I remember growing up in church confused at why some of my friends' parents would beat them to the point of abuse, would choke out their kids. But yet these were the parents that were praying in tongues the loudest at every prayer meeting, were prophesying over people. We're getting slain in the spirit at the altar call. It didn't make sense to me as an innocent kid why there was such a disconnect. I thought Christians weren't supposed to act like that. Yet this is the reality that we are tempted to face daily. That's that uncomfortable move, like what's he saying right now? Jesus describes this when he calls the Pharisees a whitewashed tomb. <laughs> Yo, Jesus comes out here with these crazy jabs that just is painful to read this. And it's, it's no wonder that the Pharisees just hate this dude because he's chopping them down at every moment because the hypocrisy, the pretense, the religion, mm. What is a whitewashed tomb? That's a tomb that looks really beautiful on the outside. Everything is clean. Everything is great. Everything is grand. But what happens when you go on the inside? It's death. It smells. It's corpses. It's rotting. First Corinthians 6 verse 19 says this. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus were to come to the temple of your heart today and start flipping tables, how would you react? Would you get angry like the religious leaders? Or would you praise his name like the children and say, Hosanna to the son of David? I believe God wants to reclaim parts of our heart of his temple in us today that we're supposed to be set apart for him, but we have begun to fill those areas with different things. Oh, there's my show on TV tonight, though. I know I had no communication with God. I, I know I've been on this entertainment binge every single night. Like, it's, it's taking up my life. I know that, but this, I, I'll pray tomorrow, God. I can't stand this person. I can't stand them so much that every time I'm with my friends, I just, I love to gossip about them because they're so dumb and I'm so smart. And it just feels good when me and my friends get around in a circle and I just mention that person's name and we just start, we just start making fun of them. Why? Because they're not there. And, and I feel good when we do this. So it's okay. You know, if the gossiping isn't hurting me, then... You know, that, that man or woman at work that constantly lusts over because it's convenient. It's okay. Well, I got 
nothing else to do while I'm at work so I can do this. See, God is a jealous God. And I pray that he would purify the temple of our heart like he purified the temple of Jerusalem that day. That he would begin to see things that do not belong, that were not created for us to live with, and that he would go to that and he would go and, and angrily come into the heart of Justin and say, Justin, this does not belong, and flip it out of the scene of the temple of my life. But I pray that when the Holy Spirit comes and he makes his dwelling in me, that I would not get angry at the things that he begins to destroy, but that I would worship and praise his name and thank him for the fire, thank him for the fuller soap, for the cleansing, and scream, Jesus, purify my heart. It doesn't feel good when you get purified. I mean, the, the furnace and the soap, they use those analogies because it's a painful process. It's a, it's a process that doesn't feel good, and it's easy to be angry at it. But our prayer should welcome it. Father, come in my heart. Show me the things that do not belong. Eradicate those things from my life. And when he begins to do that, let me tell you, those times are going to be painful. Those times are going to hurt. Those times are going to think, man, I just want to go back to the way my life was. It was easier that day. It was easy to come and say, God, I want to be like you. But as soon as I walked out of here, be like Israel. And go right back to my lust, my hate, my adultery, my thieving, my murdering, whatever it is. Because I feel good at the moment. But God, that there really isn't heart change that's happening here. My prayer for us today is this. Father, help us to praise you in the midst of refining. Father, help us to praise you in the midst of the refining. Lord, that we would be like the children. That we would sing Hosanna to your name when you come in with the refiner's fire. When you begin to consume all the things that do not belong in my life, that I would sing Hosanna in the highest. I would say, God, purify my heart. God, cleanse the temple that you have made me into. Holy Spirit, come. That I would be led by you and walk with you and not by every whim and every desire that comes into my heart or has lodged itself there for decades. But instead, I would trust in the spirit of the Lord to come today with his fire and with his refining and to burn out the things that do not belong, the profane and the impurity, and to lift up my voice and my arms and praise to God saying, thank you, 
Jesus, that you have come to purify the temple. Why don't we stand? Father, I pray in the midst of our hypocrisy that we would come to the refiner today to be pruned by you. Lord, that we would not be a people like that fig tree that give the appearance of fruit. But Lord, that we would dwell with your Holy Spirit who is the giver of life and fruit that we would be healthy in your eyes that we would bear much fruit and that all the dead places in our life that you would begin to prune it from us in the name of Jesus God and when the furnace comes that we would praise you in the midst of the refining God knowing that the pure in heart shall see God. Because, Father, it's better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere, Father. I've experienced what it's been like to be in your presence, God, and I can say right now with confidence, God, there is nothing on this earth that is better than being with you. So Father, I pray and I ask that your Holy Spirit would come right now and that we would experience what it is to be in the presence of the Almighty God. And that we would know this is the house that we want to stay. This is the house that we will make our home. In Jesus' name. Worship.